Hello. <laughs> that was weird and I annoying. Know. I don't know why I just did that. I don't know. Very but strange, but shaking uh, it up a little. All right. Yes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Home Record Podcast. I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing, certified hypnotherapist, trophy wife. You're still my trophy wife. I don't care. The lovely Monique. Monique. Hi. How goes it? It goes great. You're still fumbling with your microphone. I, you know, I started, we started, and then I went to talk, even though we do the, you know, the usual check and all that kind of stuff beforehand, and as soon as I start the show and start talking, I move a different way, and now my microphone's not where I want it to be. <sighs> what are you going to do? Anyhow, so what's new with you? How are you? I am wonderful, thank you. What's new with me? I'm just baking a lot of bread. You do bake a lot of bread. It's so easy. It's easy and delicious. So easy, but everybody's trying to please me. That's baby. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little GNR, GNR right there, baby. Yes. Woo. Woo. We yeah. were singing some uh, David Lee Roth earlier. We were. Yes, yeah. we were. <laughs> we were. That's fun. Yeah. So did you hear about, uh, I, I actually asked you this right before we started recording, but I'm going to ask again. Did you hear that he's retiring from show business? I did not. Now, I don't know the specifics, so I'm just completely talking out of my ass here, but I read somewhere or I saw a blurb somewhere that he's retiring. Now, I don't yeah. know if that means from singing, from performing music or what. I know he had a podcast. I don't know if he still does or not. I don't know if that just means he's retiring from the public life or what, but I read somewhere something about that. So Interesting. Anywho. Mm. I wonder if he's sad and lonely. <laughs> he's just a gigolo. Life goes on without him. How are you? Anything um, new, exciting? I wish I had something exciting to report, but no, nothing really. Just the usual stuff. Well, Loving life. About, yeah, I'm every excited about this day. topic. Yeah, so friends, here's watchers. Home records. Home records. Let's Today. get a house cleaning you want, you out of the way. All yeah. right, well, let's do that first. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on the Twitter. At Pod. And that's it. And we also have a website. Homewreckerpodcast.com. Individually, how can people find us? Where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at underscore Monique Giselle underscore for me. And then for my hypnotherapy business, Understandings Hypnosis, it's at Monique P. C-H-T. You can go to my website, innerstandingshypnosis.com, learn a little bit more about the hypnotherapy process and about me, and schedule a free 20-minute consult if you're interested and think hypnotherapy may help you. You can also go to my other website, tarotbymonique.com, if you're interested in organite, incense, candles, lots of fun stuff, or even a tarot or oracle reading. And of course, I have an Etsy shop, Wonders by Monique. I think I got it all. 
And you, my dear. I'm also on Twitter at the Alex Arion. AlexArionFitness.com coming back soon. That's right. it. YouTube yes. right on. Hit subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. For our you know what to do. And we have a shop on our website, homerecordpodcast.com. And you can get for all of our watchers watching the mug in my hand. We got the family dinner mug. You can have one too. It's now available on the shop. This week, we're in for a doozy, I think. Holy cow. We are going to be talking about the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. Uh, this this may be one of our longest episodes. I say one of because it's probably not going to be longer than it's probably yeah. not going to be lo- longer than Skinwalker Ranch, which we had to break into three different parts. Mm-hmm. But this will probably be a long one cuz we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot of notes. So, I'm going to I'm going to give kudos to you for taking so many notes. My goodness, if anybody watching, we've got I've got 18 pages in this stack alone. And then we've got more notes here that I was just handed right before we hit the record, but I haven't even looked at these yet. So, so I'm, like I'm really interested over to, 20 see, pages of notes. to see what's going to happen here uh, as we discuss the wonderful, <laughs> I use that term very, very loosely, the wonderful Stanford Prison Experiment. I don't know if that's the best yeah, it's word. Yeah, a horrible, horrible it. word for it, actually. And you're going to find out why here uh, as we get going. Now, this this experiment, I, I use that in You lose that term loosely. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting this in quotes because really, if you, if you think about an experiment and like the true nature of it, it I... This was like so just not. Well, we're going <laughs> to. Well, let's we'll just go get into through it. Yeah, we'll and we're going to. Because as we go through and explain the details of this experiment, just go over everything. And then at the very end, we're going to share information that came out after the fact. Shall we uh, get into the Stanford prison experiment here? You want to tell everybody how this uh, began? In the summer of 1971, Stanford University psychology professor Dr. Philip Zimbardo conducted what is now known as the Stanford Prison Experiment. Zimbardo joined Stanford's psychology department in 1968, and he taught there until his retirement in 2007. Dr. Zimbardo was looking to research the situational variables on participants' reactions and behaviors in a two-week simulation in a prison environment where volunteers role-play as prisoners and guards. The experiment, however, lasted for only six days, and the prisoners and guards were debriefed after the experiment. So it was set to go for two weeks, and and I, I'd like to just go back to what you said. Mm-hmm. He, he was looking to research the situational variables on participants' reactions and behaviors in a two-week simulation in a prison environment where volunteers play role-play as prisoners and guards. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Looking to research the situational variables on participants' reactions and behaviors. Now, if you're, if you're conducting an experiment and you want to put it in a certain environment, you're giving people the roles to play, right? Yeah. Now, would you be like, say, for example, well, we're going to find out what happened, but you wouldn't be manipulating these behaviors because you're trying to observe them, right? Yeah. You, you Isn't want- that what you, if you're doing a legitimate experiment and you're observing and, and this is what you're observing is the behaviors, 
would you be manipulating those behaviors? Well, that would manipulate the outcome. Exactly. Thank you very much. I'm just going to leave that right there and then let's get into it. Let that marinate. Yes. The experiment took place on August 15th through the 21st in 1971 in the basement of Jordan Hall at Stanford University in Stanford, California. Dr. Zimbardo placed an ad in the local paper, the Palo Alto Times, looking for healthy young men to participate in this experiment. The ad read, and I quote, male college students needed for psychological study of prison life. $15 per day for one to two weeks, beginning August 14th. For further information and applications, come to room 248 Jordan Hall, Stanford University. 15 bucks a day. Doesn't sound like much, right? But if you adjust that for inflation, what is that today? It's about 100 bucks, $100 a day. And if you're adjusting for inflation like today, today, like right now this minute, probably like 115 bucks. And in like two months from now, it'll probably be like 300 bucks at the, the rate everything's going. going. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, for the time that was, that was good money, good bank. And it's, they're essentially looking for college students. So college students, I don't care what time frame it was. It's usually not a, a, a demographic that has a lot of money. So that's pretty good scratch. For yeah, two and weeks it's of work. during the summer, so it's not yeah. like they're in school and missing out on anything. Exactly. You don't have to miss any classes or anything, and you're just participating in a two-week experiment, but you're going to make pretty good bank. For I mean, you think about it. That's probably what most college students' summer, like entire summer job would pay that much money. So it's pretty good bank. Yeah. Over 70 people applied, and after the screening assessments, psychological tests, and interviews, 24 people were selected to participate in a two-week prison simulation. The applicants were predominantly white, middle-class, and appeared to be psychologically stable and healthy. The group of subjects were intentionally selected to exclude those with criminal backgrounds, psychological impairments, medical problems, or drug use. On a random basis, a flip of the coin... Half of the subjects were assigned to the role of guard. There were nine plus three potential substitutes. The other half were assigned to the role of prisoner. Also nine plus three potential substitutes. Okay, so you had 70 people that applied. They do all these psychological assessments and whatever whatever they had mm-hmm. set up to try to weed out any potential flawed candidates, I guess, for lack of a better word. So they're trying to find the ideal candidates. and They want mentally stable people. Right. And 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 now we got most of this uh, information at first we got from watching the, the documentary Quiet Rage, mm-hmm. which was put out by Stanford University and produced by Dr. Zimbardo. Yes. So we got to see actual footage. We got to hear interviews with actual participants and Zimbardo himself giving a lot of the background of the experiment and kind of walking you through a timeline of what took place. So he said that they did a thorough screening and they wanted to get, uh, I guess, as close to normal as you could or what was considered normal, I guess, for back then. That's what they were looking for. They didn't want anybody from like a, a broken home. They didn't want anybody from a, a poverty stricken household. They wanted just normal middle class males. Dr. Zimbardo's research team included Curtis Banks, 
Craig Haney, David Jaffe, and Carlo Prescott. Prescott served as a consultant and was an ex-convict who was recently released after serving 17 years in San Quentin and Soledad prisons. They recruited the help of some experts for the prison design and construction. Small offices became cells designed to hold three prisoners each, and a broom closet became solitary confinement. A broom closet. A closet. Awesome. Yeah. The small corridor was set as the prison yard, and a bigger room across from the prisoners became an area for the guards and warden. The prisoners were to stay in their cells and the yard all day and night until the end of the study. The guards were told to work in teams of three for eight-hour shifts. The guards were not required to stay on site after their shift, though they were called in a few times to help. It's a pretty sweet gig if you're a guard, huh? You don't even have to be there all the time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you if you drew the prison, if you, if you got the flip of the coin that made you a prisoner, that sucks. Because you're there nonstop for the entire two weeks, but the and guards like can leave. And like a small hallway that's like maybe what ten feet long is your is the the, the yard. corridor is the yard. You don't even yeah. get to actually go outside. And one of the things I had mentioned to you was their small offices. What is the ventilation like in there with three people to a small office <sighs> living in there? And there's no toilets. That's a in question there. There's we no can ask. That's a question we can ask in a few minutes because we'll see where that can go get pretty bad but i I find it funny uh remember we said uh earlier that the they were intentionally so uh these these uh candidates excuse me were intentionally selected to exclude those with criminal backgrounds psychological impairments medical problems or drug use Mm -hmm. remember the drug use just remember that for after because we're gonna see that anyway Moving on. We'll get there. Dr. Zimbardo took on the role of prison superintendent. Many undergraduate researchers took on roles as well. There you go again with a big fucking red flag right there. You are supposed to be conducting the study and observing the experiment. You're the the chief observer. You should not be a fucking part of it. So that right there. Major fucking red flag and a big time flaw, and we're going to see why. Mm-hmm. David Jaffe took the role of warden. Craig Haney and Curtis Banks handled a variety of prison staff responsibilities. Dr. Zimbardo met with the students selected to be guards the day before the experiment was to begin and explained to them they were not allowed in any way to hit the prisoners. However, they could create in the prisoners, in the prisoners, feelings of boredom, and a sense of frustration. They could create fear and a sense that the prisoners' lives are totally controlled and they will have no privacy at all, that the prisoners will be under constant surveillance and cannot do or say anything that the prison does not permit, and that the guards can take away the prisoners' individuality in various ways. In general, Dr. Zimbardo wanted this behavior of the guards to lead to the prisoners feeling that the guards had total power in the situation and that the prisoners had none. He also explained to the guards how the prisoners will be transported to their new prison. (sighs) Again, what? So he wants them to create fear, Mm -hmm. which... 
I guess uh, that part I didn't get. If you're trying to examine the role of, of people in a prison environment, I take it that Zimbardo had never been to prison. I'm just guessing that that's the case because I don't think that that's the role of administrators and guards in a prison situation is to instill fear in Their the inmates. Their job is to keep control of everything. Uh, sure, and and yes, uh, a certain level of fear maybe will help to uh, instill some respect, but to be constantly making the prisoners fear you seems very counterproductive mm. to me. And I, I personally, I have a friend, that uh, a very close friend that was a prison guard for many years, and none of this stuff was ever done in the, and he was in a state prison. He wasn't no. just like some local jail. Keep in mind, this was 1971. Well, Things were a little different. Fair enough. Then. Fair enough. Fair enough. On August 15th, 1971, Palo Alto police drove to each prisoner's home, arrested them, brought them to the police department to be processed. And then the prisoners were blindfolded. They were then transported to the university where they removed the blindfold. The prisoners were stripped, deloused and given a number and prison garments consisting of a hair stocking, smock, and rubber shower shoes, which are flip-flops. And the prisoners were to wear a chain and lock around their ankle to symbolize their loss of freedom. So they were de-loused. They I remember- wanted to make it as real as possible. And <laughs> well, all I think of is super troopers. Researching a little bit more after watching the video and, and everything, the de-lousing was just them spraying them with something. So I don't know if it was like a, like an athlete's foot spray or something. But that's what it looked like when they were watching them on the video because they just sprayed it with like an spray. aerosol can. So I don't know what that was. But I I remember like even back in the eighties, body lice was a big deal, and police officers could get just from arresting people and touching them or getting in a scuffle with them could get body lice. So that was done Ooh. to try to prevent that from happening. So maybe that's what they used. I don't know, but it, it just it looked. But these guys were stripped funny. completely naked. Yeah, yeah, and and what I found very fascinating too is that they got the actual police department, like police officers, to go to these quote unquote prisoners. Now remember, these are volunteers who are being paid to take part in this experiment. It's a it's a college experiment. That's what it is. It's a, a research project or whatever you call it. But how did they get the real police to take them, come and arrest them, bring them to the station, fingerprint them, you know, the whole nine? How, how You know what I mean? Like, I, I find that real fascinating that they were able to, to talk the local PD into participating in something like that. I, I don't know. I just, I thought that, that that little touch, I guess it would be good to get the person who's playing the role of a prisoner into the mindset of, I just got arrested, now I'm going to jail. I thought that was a neat touch. It is. And I just think, wow, does that police department just have nothing to do? Uh, that, that's what I thought too. Like, they, they were that dead that they were able to just <laughs> devote these resources to this? Because you had to go get, how many was it? Did we say six or nine? Not? Nine, excuse me. Yeah, nine. So they get they get to go make nine arrests. I presume all around the same time it would have to be yeah, right because yeah. you're not going to get one guy and have him sit there waiting while you're going to go mm-hmm. get eight others. So yeah, I just I found that really really interesting that that took place. But definitely a nice touch. Yeah, kind of bringing that realism to it, right? Which is what they wanted. Yeah. So after the prisoners do all that. The prison rules were explained to them by the warden, setting forth the expectations for the new prisoners. 
The guards did prisoner counts constantly throughout the day and night. The guards were told to do this to make sure the prisoners were all accounted for, but also to familiarize the prisoners with their numbers, as no prisoner was to be referred by name, only number, in an effort to dehumanize the prisoners. It also created opportunities for the guards to interact and create more control with the prisoners. With that, the first count was at 2.30 a.m., so the first night that the, the prisoners are in there, the guards wake them up at 2.30 to do a count. To our knowledge, that's not something that happens in a normal prison. They don't. Unless there's something major happening. Unless something's happening. They're not they going to just disrupt your sleep no. just to be dickheads. They might do a prison check. Again, in the early 70s, maybe it was different. I don't know. But it it just seems like things like they were really going out of their way to fuck with these people. Yeah, I think, for me, I think what happened was, and, and I think my theory may be, well, it's never going to be proven to be correct because we weren't there, but I think the Zimbardo was just sitting there watching as the, the superintendent or whatever his title was, mm-hmm. and he was just getting bored because nothing was happening. So I think he's just like, oh, let, we got we to gotta spice this up a little bit. One, one could argue that the intention is when you mess with people and you deprive them of sleep, he, he only has a small window to do something that can take years to get effects. He has to do it in two weeks. Sure. So to speed up the process, you're going to really up the ante. You're going to, you know, give lack of sleep, make them to be more irritable, off guard, to really allow, like, the rawness to come out, one could argue. One could argue that, but I, 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 I could say, I would say, too, that one could also argue that these people were signing up to be volunteers Mm -hmm. in a prison experiment, a prison scenario. Now, I don't think that they signed up to be sleep deprived. Oh, I agree. I'm not saying it's right. No, I I know you're not, but I'm just saying like, that's, that's the thing. They, these guys, these prisoners thought they were going into one situation. And as, as we're seeing now, some stuff's happening right off the bat Mm -hmm. that they probably didn't sign up for. According to Zimbardo, during the first day, it seemed the prisoners were not taking their roles seriously while guards were still feeling out their roles and authority. The day passed without incident. On the second day, when waking the prisoners for their 10 a.m. count, the guards noticed the prisoners in cell one removed their stocking caps, ripped off their numbers, and barricaded themselves inside by putting their beds against the door. The prisoners taunted the guards. This caused embarrassment to the guards, so they called in reinforcements, having all nine guards present to help put down the quote-unquote rebellion. (laughs) Prisoner 8612 protested loudly, saying things like, fuck this experiment and fuck Dr. Zimbardo, fucking simulation, fuck that simulation, and it's a fucking simulated experiment. So I want to know why did they barricade? Because it we 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 just heard you just read mm-hmm. it was the first day was pretty uneventful. Nothing happened other Maybe than they them, woke up their asses at two thirty. Other than like, them getting this. yeah, other than them getting woken mm-hmm. up at two thirty a.m. and maybe that was the catalyst. I looked 
you I know you did too, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find anywhere why they these prisoners decided to barricade. But now that you say it, that may be the only thing that I could think of that w- that would make somebody go, you know what, fuck this. I'm not letting them come in until I'm fucking ready to wake up. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's you know what they did. I, I I don't know. It's the only thing I can think of because. I mean, to first day was uneventful. To, there, there's a number of things you could say. They did this again because they got woken up. So they're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Fuck this. It could be thinking like, oh, we're going to be prisoners. Let's act like prisoners in their own mind of what somebody might do. Or who knows? Maybe they were directed to do it. I don't know. We can only speculate. We, we Yeah, you're right. We can only speculate. So the guard put 8612 into quote unquote the hole aka solitary confinement aka, AKA the, the closet broom closet <laughs> the other leader of the rebellion prisoner 5704 had his feet chained together by the guards this squashed the rebellion but gave the guards a new dilemma while nine guards can handle nine prisoners how can they make three guards maintain control of nine prisoners without using more physical force This is where the guards became more creative for some, but more sadistic for others. One guard came up with the idea of using psychological tactics instead of physical ones. Some guards tried giving a reward system for the prisoners. They set up a privileged cell, and those not involved with the rebellion were given special privileges, getting their uniforms back, getting to wash themselves and brush their teeth. Privileged prisoners were given their beds back and offered a special meal while others were only allowed to watch. All the prisoners who received the special meal refused it to remain in solidarity with the punished prisoners. Another prisoner, number 1037, refused to come out of solitary until all of the beds were returned. So why was prisoner 1037, why was he in solitary? I don't know. I tried I to, don't know I tried to find that. Again, I have to speculate maybe because he was in that cell. There are three prisoners to his cell. They only mentioned two. Maybe he was the third. So when one was taken out of solitary, a.k.a. the closet, he was put in. That's the only thing I can think of. But it doesn't really, I can't find that information. Yeah, it's very difficult. And that that Quiet Rage documentary, again, produced by Zimbardo and Stanford University, it showed some stuff, but it I think it left a lot out. Oh, yeah. It was 50 minutes long, so it's maybe it was because they wanted to keep it under an hour or something like that, or maybe it's because they left out some things that maybe didn't make them look too favorable. Mm. Not sure. To gain control over the prisoners, the guards began to implement more strip searches, enforced physical exercise, and began punishing prisoners for no reason. Using the toilet became a privilege and the guards could either approve or deny it. After the 10 p.m. lockup, the prisoners were forced to use a bucket that was left in their cells, the office, the small office with three people in it. And on occasion, the guards would even refuse the prisoners from emptying the bucket until morning, causing the cells to smell. Prisoner 8612, the rebellion leader, became sick of the harassment of the guards and the terrible conditions. He started complaining of headaches and stomach pains. 8612 was interviewed by the staff and the quote-unquote warden was unsympathetic. 8612 was ridiculed by ex-con Carlos Prescott, calling him a white boy unable to cope with minimal prison hardships. Dr. Zimbardo offered 8612 a deal 
that he would ensure no guard harassed him in exchange for some information from time to time. Essentially, he was asking him to be a snitch. Zimbardo asked 8612 to think it over and to give him this decision that night. So basically, he's trying to get a volunteer to stay past the point they want to stay at. That's a little messed up because if you're there, you're volunteering to be a part of this experiment, uh, in my view then that would mean that you could also volunteer to get yourself out of the experiment, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care what kind of paperwork you signed. If you're in this type of environment and you're being treated this way, I think you have the right to go, you know what? I want out. I'm done. Well, I mean, the fact that they're making them do physical exercise, which is like, oh, okay. Strip searches. What the hell are you looking for? Obviously, it's not like you're just doing it to be dicks. And then to make them urinate and defecate in buckets, in these small offices. And not letting them dump it out? Arbitrarily deciding who gets to go to the bathroom and who doesn't, just for no re- mm-hmm. no rhyme or reason whatsoever. What is that? This, this is what happens in prison? This is, you know what I mean? Like, this is... But it's not even a prison. Well, I, I know, but just the fact that this is supposed to be a prison simulation. This is the stuff that happens in real prison? I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. That evening, 8612 told the other prisoners that no one could get out. 8612 was ordered against the wall by a guard, to which he replied, fuck you, and walked into his cell. He also stated to a guard, if I'm going to be here, I'm not going to put up with any of your shit, and complained about how he can't even get out. While he said this, guards and some prisoners were laughing. Prisoner 3401 commented during the debriefing that once 8612 said, you can't get out, was when it hit him and that it really felt like he was a prisoner there. And that while they volunteered to be there and were getting paid for it, they could not leave and they really became prisoners. Another prisoner, 1037, was told he could not quit, which caused him to feel like he was really in prison, which made him feel totally hopeless and more hopeless than he ever felt before. By refusing to allow these volunteer prisoners to leave and to to hold them there against their will, the young men turned prisoners truly began to feel the realism of the experiment. So this is this is a part that I have a big problem with. Mm-hmm. Isn't this false imprisonment? Like I'd say legally, so. isn't that well here's here's regardless the, of if they want to be there voluntarily or not. I guess here's the thing. One could say, like, what are you gonna do? I'm just I'm leaving. Give me my clothes back. Fuck you. I'm leaving. Right. But they were also blindfolded. So if they don't know that area, they don't know where they are, they might not know how to get out. And they're in a smock. Some of them had their smocks were removed and they had like a towel wrapped around them. But I would just be like, give me my shit. I'm leaving and you cannot do anything about it. But nobody did that. They so it makes me question a lot of stuff. One could wonder. Was it really getting to them feeling like, oh, no, we are prisoners and we can't leave because somebody said so? It's only the third day. Yeah. Or are they just or, going or along is, with are it? Are they even, playing I'm along? Sorry. Are we even on the third day yet? I think, we're, no, we're no. still on day two. Day two. It's the second day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't care if the superintendent or the guy running the experiment says, no, you can't leave because you agreed to be here. I don't give a shit. I'd be like, I'm out. You didn't tell me I wasn't going to be able to use the bathroom that I, that I, 
I would gonna be I was gonna be told I can or cannot brush my teeth. That I can't like, wash myself. That I can't, that I can't. Sleep I'm gonna be strip searched. Like I'm gonna be forced what? to do physical exercise. Right. It, it goes beyond. Like I, I would look at it like, oh, be a prisoner. I'm gonna sit in a cell. You know, all right. day. Yeah. That, I, right. I mean, like, what if some of these kids decided, hey, I want to be. I want to volunteer for this, and I want to be a prisoner because I, I just want to break. I just want to go hang out and, and study for two weeks or, or read books or whatever. They did none of this. They, you know what I mean? Like they just, they were there. This essentially turned into a psychological torture experiment. Yeah. That's what this was. If it's really what they say it is, it would be false imprisonment. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, if they're volunteering to be in it, then they should, they, they should be able to, I, I think, truly, I think they could have left at any time. They just, all they had to say was, I'm out. I'm done. Nope. No more experiment. Hello. I'm done. Get yeah. me out of this. Fuck off. I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm leaving. Keep I'd, keep my $15 a day. I'd be like, what are you going to do about Peace it? Peace out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. With all that that happened, this caused the rebellions to cease. But prisoner 8612 still wanted out, so he tried to show everyone he went crazy, according to Zimbardo, in the hopes he would be released. 8612 began yelling at the guards and that he felt all fucked up inside and saying, I want out now, and that he needed a doctor. I feel so fucked up inside. I feel really fucked up inside. You don't know. I gotta go. I to a doctor, anything. I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm burning up inside. Don't you know? I can't say that. I fucked up. I don't know how to explain it. I'm all fucked up inside. Out out. Out out now. Zimbardo finally decided, with less than 36 hours into the experiment, to release prisoner 8612. So, again, if this guy wanted out that bad, I can only imagine the amount of harassment must have been pretty severe. As I mean, you can't use the bathroom. You're not allowed to sleep at night. Your your sleep's getting all fucked with. You're made to do push-ups randomly for they're no fucking reason. They're being dehumanized. Yeah. And they're not even being called by name. They're being called by their prisoner number. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of... One thing on top of another on top yeah. of another on top so of another. I would imagine that if this guy, 36 hours into this, is already feeling like, okay... The, it's got to be pretty bad if this guy's like, you know, fuck this. He's doing essentially what I would have done right off the bat. Like, fuck this. I'm out. Get me out. But the difference is he just, he was yelling and screaming and saying stuff, but why didn't he just, like, walk out? That's what I'm curious about. That's, see, and that's why I wish, and I could not find anywhere, but I wish we could find some of these guys. I mean, there was a couple that, that were interviewed, that did interviews for the Stanford newspaper, but... I mean, again, yeah, we were trying to find the names of everyone. And even that was even that was that was a chore. Yeah, Yeah, we couldn't find a lot of a lot of their names. So but that'd be interesting to find out like, okay, dude, what were you thinking here? Like, why didn't you just say, fuck this? I'm out again. Is it because was he just kind of going along with it, playing the role or was he doing what he thought would get him out of the situation? Who knows? So let's go to day three. Oh, boy. Day three was visiting day. Zimbardo was concerned the parents of the prisoners would become concerned about the conditions and want to take their boys home. So he decided to manipulate both the prisoners and the visitors to keep the experiment going. Fucking guy. The guards told the prisoners not to mention any of the ill treatment to their families or their visitation would be cut short. 
The prisoners were cleaned, given a nice dinner and a special dessert in an attempt to bribe them into compliance. The cells were also cleaned. The parents were made to register and then wait over 30 minutes, being told their sons were finishing a late dinner with some extra dessert. Visits were limited to two people per prisoner and were only given 10 minutes total to visit. The families did complain about the process, but complied. By doing this, the prison not only established control over the prisoner, but their families as well. How fucked up is this? Yeah. Okay, so hypothetically, you and I, our son, we'll say our son goes and volunteers to be in in this situation. We go to his visit night or whatever they call it. We go there for visiting day and we're we're made to wait for 30 minutes. I'd be like, come on, fucking really? Like, let's go. Let's go. move. This is an experiment. I'm just here to see my kid. He volunteered for an experiment. Let's move this along, shall we? But instead, no, everybody decided we're going to play along. Okay? So they play along. Finally, their kids come out, and they only get 10 minutes with them. And obviously, Zimbardo knows he's doing some fucked up shit. He already knows that he's doing fucked up shit if he is giving them a nice dinner. He's, if you have to try to manipulate people to keep your experiment going, that should tell you right there that something's wrong. Something, Yeah, exactly. Obviously, there's some fucked up shit going on here. Now, we're told that some of these parents were concerned about their kids. Why the fuck did you leave them there? Why, why, why did, did you, you take them, them out? Why didn't you take your kid and say, you know what? Okay, let's go. We're leaving. Let's go. Who's going to stop them? The guards? <laughs> They're fucking kids too. Who's yeah. you know what I mean? So this whole thing bothered the shit out of me because it's not just now the kids, but their parents are just going along with this shit. Oh, it gets better. After the parents left, the guards heard a rumor that prisoner eight six one two was planning on coming back with friends to free the remaining prisoners. Zimbardo decided to call in all guards move the prisoners to cell, to other cells in another area of the building. And when 8612 arrived, Zimbardo would tell him that he let everyone go. Zimbardo did mention he discussed with his team the idea of even trying to lure 8612 back to complete the experiment. No one showed up that night and all the work was for nothing. But it did cause the guards to work all day and miss lunch. The guards felt the prisoners needed to pay for their inconvenience. I like that that they want they discuss luring eight eight six one two back. What were they gonna do? They Fucking were gonna try to say hang out outside were, of his house in a white van and like offer him candy. They, they gonna were gonna try to say you were released under false pretenses. And, and is that what to, is that what it was? Yeah, that's what Zimbardo said. Come on. Yeah, and oh my gosh, what a mind fuck. I'd be like Go fuck yourself in your false pretenses. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fuck out of here. It's, um, yeah. This Zimbardo guy, I fucking hate this guy the more we, the more we move on. Mm-hmm. The more we get through this. I'm, I'm hating him more and more as we keep going. Oh, it gets better. Why don't we just pause here and take a break? You want to take a little break? Let's just take right, a break I got, I got to cool off anyway. Let's, so let's cool down. Simmer let's down. Take a, let's take a short pause. Many people are unaware just how much hypnotherapy can help them or think it's only to help lose weight or quit smoking. But there is so much more hypnotherapy can do. It can help with stress, anxiety, insomnia, 
phobias, performance enhancement, connecting with your spirit guides and higher self. You can even discover past lives and your life between lives. Heal traumas, break habits, find your deepest truth, or just have fun discovering who you really are, all from the comfort of your home. I'm Monique Pliakis. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, and I want to help you. Schedule a free consult by going to www.innerstandingshypnosis.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G-S-H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S.com. Innerstandings Hypnosis. Find your power and ignite your inner light. Okay, I've calmed down some. Feel better? I, I was getting fired up there. You were. You were. That's okay. Goodness. Moving on. On day four, the guards upped the level of harassment and increased the humiliation of the prisoners. In an effort to make the prisoners suffer, the number of push-ups increased. Counts began to last several hours, and prisoners were made to clean toilets with their bare hands and polish the guards' shoes. One guard commented, that during that time, any respect he would feel for the prisoner, he would just shut out and began to treat them as coldly and harshly as possible. And by the third day, he was treating the prisoners as if they were inferior to him. So the level of harassment increased and the humiliation of the prisoners increased. Mm -hmm. Okay. For what? Again, for what? Like, what are they trying to... What is... Again, Not, I, I'm like the prisoners, whatever the, happened wasn't the prisoner's fault. It, even if they were really pissed off, it's not their fault. And to say somebody needed to pay is implying that these guards have this really messed up mentality with right. it just by the third day. Well, this is now day four. We're on day four. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, and but after, is, yeah, three days. So by day four, yeah. It, it's, but again, this just goes to show you. That this fucking Zimbardo is a puppet master. He yeah. he's just he's he's causing all this. I mean, he's telling them what to do. Oh yeah, but it's like, wait, hold on a minute. Is this a uh, an experiment about what people would do in a prison situation, or is this an experiment about uh, how fucked up can I make people act? Like, what yeah. what is it? Like, how how far can we push people to try to control them? That's what it really feels like. Because prison is supposed to be about rehabilitation. It's supposed to be about taking people off the streets where they cause harm, preventing them from doing harm, but hopefully trying to rehabilitate them so they can be a normal functioning member of society. That's ultimately the goal of it, not to mind fuck people and try to control them. Treat them subhuman and treat them like, you know, like rats essentially, like, you know, less than human. Which is what this was. I mean, so again, any, by this point, any ethics or morals, anything resembling any, any kind of uh, a morally just experiment, gone. Fucking smashed. Oh, yeah. Like, what, what is this? This is not, this is not a fucking, this is, it's, it's essentially, it's mental and physical torture. That's what, that's what was going on here. When it comes to, like, when you think about people involved in domestic abuse situations, I personally have been involved in domestic abuse, and I personally felt that being mentally abused was much worse than being physically abused. 
And I've had other friends in situations like that say the same thing because it's like that mental, it's a mind fuck. Mm. And that hurts way more because it not only hurts you, but it makes you question your reality. It makes you question everything about you. It makes you think more, it makes you feel like you're more alone. And and that's really difficult. And a lot of times you're already isolated. And think about these guys, they're essentially isolated from their family, yeah. from their friends. And they have these other guys, but they don't know these other guys. Right. So, yeah. so that, you know, like to say like, oh, you know, you can't hit them, but we can fuck with their minds as hard as possible. Break them down into thinking they're absolutely no one and nothing and just do what you want. Push them to the limit. You know, it's almost like, are you trying to get these guys to like kill themselves or somebody else? Are you trying to get them in the prison system? It, it kind of seems that way though. Right. Right. I mean, what, what the fuck are they doing here? So it's messed up. Yeah, let's moving on. Prisoner 819 refused to take part in the 6 a.m. count. He refused to do any exercises. He messed up his cell and barricaded himself in. Good for him. Mm-hmm. The guards retaliated by making the other prisoners do mindless work, like moving boxes back and forth. Prisoner 819 was placed in solitary, a.k.a. the closet. After this incident, a Catholic priest, who was a real prison chaplain, visited to speak with the prisoners and offer his thoughts on the realism of the prison to Zimbardo and staff. When the prisoners spoke with the priest, they introduced themselves by their prisoner number, not their name. The priest seemed more interested in offering legal advice than spiritual, asking the prisoners what action have they taken to get out of jail, which only confused the prisoners more. The priest even went as far as scolding the prisoners for not knowing their civil liberties and for not getting a lawyer to bail them out. The priest went as far as calling some of the prisoners' parents to call a public defender for their sons. Prisoner 819 initially refused to speak with the priest, but finally agreed to, to which he began to break down crying. The priest offered 819 a hot meal and told him he could leave after if he wanted to. The priest also told Zimbardo and staff that the prisoners were acting like first-timers who were confused, frightened, and emotional before they got hardened by the prison system. Okay, so the priest tells the guy, you know, you can leave if you want to. So why didn't the guy leave? That's what I want to know. Why didn't he leave? Right? Why wouldn't he leave? And the priest is right. You could fucking leave. Just tell them you're done. Leave. Get the fuck out of this shit. But, but what are I, you doing? I even question. I question that. Like, <laughs> mm, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, who the fuck is this priest? Well, he's a prison chaplain. So he, he was brought in by Zimbardo to talk to the prisoners, quote unquote prisoners, and also to assess the realism of the scenario they set up. So your job as chaplain is to talk to prisoners about their legal rights and civil liberties? I find it interesting. Well, well, I mean, that, that's uh, sure. A prison chaplain can do that. Why not? He's gonna. He's there to help the prisoners out. Why wouldn't he do that? I get that. But but, but I, I get what you're saying. In this particular scenario, well, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I aren't you supposed to be there for spiritual counsel? Yes, but you can also offer that kind of counsel too if you know it and and you see that they're not doing it. It's obviously because they don't know it. Here, and honestly, the the priest is right to tell them about their civil liberties because they were being fucked with. Okay, but here's the thing. It sounds like the priest came in to see how real is it. And these kids That's volunteered exactly for something. 
And they're being like, oh, wait a minute, I was supposed to get an attorney. So they're getting confused by this, you know, by being like, wait a minute, what is he talking about? Like, and it just blurs those lines of reality even more because the priest is talking to them like they're in a real prison, which I think was Zimbardo's plan to push them. One could say, one could argue and say like, oh, we, we really want them to feel like it's prison. Talk to them like they're really in prison. So they're just like, why, like, why is he calling the parents? If I was a parent and my kid's doing some experiment, getting paid that he's volunteering for, and a priest calls me saying, you need to get a public defender and legal counsel for him. I'd be like, what the fuck? I wonder, well, and again, this is why this is the, the documentary and, and a lot of the information around this part is very, you just got to kind of take their word for it. I wonder if the priest, perhaps, I'm totally giving him the benefit of the doubt here. I wonder if he went in, was talking to these guys, and they're telling him, hey, dude, they're making us shit in buckets. They're not letting us sleep. They're making me do fucking a thousand push-ups. I never done a push-up before I got here. And they're making me do this shit for no reason. I didn't do anything. I'm, j- I'm supposed to just be here as a prisoner. I didn't know I was going to get tortured. Maybe they're telling this guy this, and the priest's like, you know, you have civil liberties. You don't have to do this. You're, you know, maybe contact, maybe that's why he's saying, maybe. contact but an attorney. But why do no parents show up I, that to I get don't, their kids? That it's I don't weird. know. It's this. That's why this whole thing, I feel like we're told information, but we're not told all the information. I feel like there's a lot that's been left out, mm-hmm. a lot that has never come out. Obviously, for good reason, because mm-hmm. the, just the stuff that's out is fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When the guards assembled the prisoners for the 1130 count, they made the prisoners recite. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. 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 And that they were being punished because of him and say it over and over. When Zimbardo realized 819 could hear this, he checked in on him and saw 819 crying. Zimbardo offered to let 819 leave, but he was told by 819 that he couldn't leave thinking other prisoners thought he was a bad prisoner. Zimbardo had to remind 819 of who he really was, who Zimbardo really was, and what that place really was, trying to bring this young man back into reality. 819 agreed to be released and left the experiment. So finally, Zimbardo is showing maybe some empathy, realizing, oh, oh, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm pushing it too far for this one. Maybe this one has reached his breaking point. So maybe finally, he's but like, let's, oh, let's, let's just push everyone to their breaking point. Is is that the goal of look, the experiment? I, I think that maybe was the goal because <laughs> look, look what they're doing. I know. A new prisoner, 416, was brought in to replace 819. He was brought in and processed in the same way all the others were. 416 began to revolt by refusing to eat, going on a hunger strike. The other prisoners refused to join or support him and saw him as a troublemaker. The guards tried to humiliate 416 to break him down into complying. They had him sing Amazing Grace while the other prisoners did push-ups. 416, while they do push-ups, do sing Amazing Grace. Ready? Down. Amazing 
Why did 416 not comply? So there's a lot of information I couldn't find out. Like, why did he just kind of come in and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Fuck this. I don't want to do it. I, I don't know because he was an alternate, right? Yeah. So he was one of the three alternates. So he was called to come in. So I can only assume, and this is not, this is a, an assumption. I can only assume that Zimbardo told him to not comply just to see how the guards would act maybe. But we, that's never been put, that's never been written yeah. anywhere that I could find. That, that that to me would make sense if Zimbardo's trying to piss the guards off more now mm-hmm. to see how they're going to take it out on the prisoners. It's the only thing I could think of is he he tells 416, hey, uh, I want you to go in and I don't want you to listen to anything that just revolt in some way. It's just bizarre. He's just not going to comply. So either he was told right. to not comply or he saw how sh- how shitty, no pun intended, conditions were. Yeah. And we're just like, fuck this. I'm not participating. Yeah. Maybe he got put in a cell where there's a bucket of shit on the, on the you know, yeah. the corner or something. At this point, Zimbardo noticed there were three types of guards. The ones who treated the prisoners well, the ones who tried to be fair, and the ones who were just plain old sadistic. By day five, the guards had control of their prison and all the prisoners except for newcomer 416. All the others were obedient. The guards tested their control over the prisoners by making them write a letter home, telling their families, quote, no need to visit. It's seventh heaven. Yours truly, your loving son, end quote. And the guards ordered the prisoners to write their their name their mother gave them however many wrote their prisoner number okay so i want to know why they wrote their prisoner number and also bring going back to the priest why did they introduce themselves as a as their prisoner number to the priest Mm -hmm. well i mean that was one of the goals that they wanted zimbardo wanted them to be addressed by their prison number and to use that as their identification in order to to dehumanize right yes so 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 here was my question a lot of them wrote their prisoner number, not their actual name. So I would take it of one of two ways. One could say, oh, well, they're so used to by like four days or five days now writing this number, saying this number, using this number. They're just doing it. Then I wonder, did they do it as a form of rebellion or did they do it as they write this letter to their families? Maybe it's a way to signal something's wrong. So there are people who, like, I know you. And if you said something out of character, I might be like, something's off. Yeah. He, he, no, yeah. that's not him. And you could wonder the in, in a situation, maybe it's a kind of code to like show like something's, show something's wrong. something's wrong that nobody else would pick up on, maybe. Perhaps. I, I don't know. Yeah. I also wonder if... I, I don't know. I also wonder if maybe we, we know that Zimbardo met with the guards before the experiment. Mm-hmm. We know that and we know how they were directed. Did he also maybe talk to the prisoners one by one and maybe tell them, look, I know your name is Ralph or I know your name is Frank or Fred, but while you're in here, I it's very important for the experiment, for the integrity of the experiment that you always 
refer to yourself as your number. But what's interesting that includes no matter what, if, if, if they, if the guards tell you something, say, what's your name? You don't say your name. You give your number. It's very important for the experiment because not only are we observing you, the prisoner, but we're observing the guard as well. I wonder if that's maybe something that a direction they were given, but maybe on an individual basis, not as a group. That wasn't the, explained possibly because, I, but he did talk to them. You know, that the, 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 he was the superintendent of the experiment or the, or the prison or whatever you want to call it. He was there at all times. So I wonder if maybe he did when he talked to some people individually, that's what he said. It's, it's a possibility is all I'm saying. I don't know if that's what happened. Well, but. he didn't, it seems like they didn't really talk to the prisoners. They gave him just a little bit of information. They really, they had to sit down with the guards, but when it came to prisoners, cops showed up and took him in on the day. So a lot of the stuff allegedly surprised these prisoners. So it, it seemed like the guards knew what was up, but these people who got the flip of the coin as prisoner didn't. So who knows? Maybe I, they just weren't again, sharing that I think with the information that was released. That That's why I'm saying I think that there was a lot of information that never came out or was never shared and maybe you just had to be there to know what was really going on. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, again, Zimbardo's a puppet master, so I could see him manipulating both sides because, yeah, he's telling the guards what to do, but is he also telling, like we th think maybe perhaps 416 was told on his way in, look, don't don't listen to the guards, whatever you do. Mm -hmm. Whatever you have to do, don't listen. You know, to see what don't the other guards violent, and the prisoners will do. Don't be violent, but don't listen yeah. because we want to see, you know, whatever. Prisoner 416, still refusing to eat, was, giving, was given sausages left over from lunch for his dinner. Because he refused to eat, he was placed in solitary, a.k.a. the closet, told to hold the sausages in his hands, and he could not leave until they were eaten. The guards even threatened to cancel visiting hours the next day if 416 did not eat his sausages. The guards then had prisoners bang on the closet door saying, Thank you, 416. In an effort to show 416, he is making the other prisoners angry. I know that these guys, they can't hit the prisoners, right? They're, they're told they can't hit the prisoners. But this shit right here, this is just so fucked up. Never mind what's already happened, but this here. You're going to make somebody eat dirty sausages? Well, you're you're gonna, not gonna, no, he's you're making not, him hold them in his hands. You make him hold them in his hands. Which is gross. Yeah. And then in a closet. And, and you're and, in the closet. And is, and like, is there a bucket in there? Like, uh, I right. don't know. Right, like it's, you can't leave till you eat the sausages. Like what if the guy's a vegetarian or what if he he can't eat them for some reason or whatever. Religious or health. Like, whatever, um, yeah. Yeah. It's just this This is fucked up. And just like, just, just this whole situation, it's just so fucked up because this is all happening and- it's it's just fucked up. There's so many different health concerns here. There's you know all kinds. Oh, of there's a stuff. lot of concerns. There, yeah, here. I mean, there's just take your pick. Four one six was taken out of the closet for the next count that was run by a guard nicknamed John Wayne for his macho and tough guy attitude. This guard used different attempts to humiliate four one six into submitting dominance to no avail. Other prisoner, another prisoner nicknamed Sarge for his obedience to the guards. Was now, I don't get that one. How is this guy nicknamed Sarge because he's obedient? Isn't a Sarge usually the one that gives orders? 
Well, in the levels, there's different levels. So maybe he's like the guard's little minion. So if the guards were like captain or lieutenant, he'd be the Sarge. Okay, I guess. I'm guessing. So this other prisoner, Sarge, was asked by the guards why he was so compliant and if he would fuck the floor if they told him to. The guards seemed to do their best to treat the prisoners as terribly as possible, but not one prisoner protested the treatment at this point. 416 was placed back in the closet with the sausages now dirty from being rolled around on the floor. John Wayne tried to get 416 to submit by giving the prisoners a choice. Either give up their blankets and sleep on the bare mattress or keep their blankets and 416 will stay in the closet another day. Only one prisoner offered his blankets and 416 was made to stay in the closet all night long. That's fucked up. Oh, yeah. However... If I'm one of the prisoners who's being made to come out now, we you didn't you didn't write uh, say this, but what they were having these prisoners do is they were having them come out, they were having them do push-ups and all these kind of things while four one six just watched. And oh, did, that was earlier, right? Yeah. But but no, but they did it again, and and they and he didn't have to do it; he just had to sit and watch. And they were basically told, "You're doing this because of him." So. Now they're they're asked to take pity on the guy who's just made them do. Well, he didn't make them, but be, they're being told because of him. The guards don't want them to be on his side because look what happened the first right, time. Right, of course. But it's just it's just kind of you see. But one guy actually still offers yeah. up his blankets. It's just it's very interesting there. I wonder if that's something that Zimbardo saw coming. I think he manipulated that kind of stuff to happen. Make the guards so vicious and vile that it turns the prisoners vicious and vile as well. Uh, could be. Could very well be. Mm-hmm. And with that, too, just thinking about like making somebody sleep in a closet like that, a small, tiny little broom closet. And what kind of ventilation is in there? And he's still got the dirty sausages in there, yeah. too. Uh, uh. And right? are they not letting him use the bathroom? Again, information that we're not told. Mm-hmm. So during this day, that was also family visitation day where parents were forced yet again to wait, but even longer than the previous day. Parents were concerned about their sons and some left with plans to contact attorneys regarding the release of their sons. And this again, showing the blurred lines of reality because it doesn't specify if they were doing it to try to get their sons out of here, if they weren't allowed to leave willfully or are they trying to do what the priest told them? Oh, I need to contact a public defense attorney. It's, again, but to me, parents saying we're going to contact attorneys, just fucking take your child and leave. Just yeah. get him out of there. It's not a prison. It's not a real prison. It's a fucking... It's a basement you're, of a You're in the basement of a fucking... Wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you're not... What the fuck? Makes... Ugh. Ah, <sighs> yeah. Take your kid home. Fuck. Also on day five, the prisoners were brought in front of the parole board, which consisted of college graduate students, secretaries, and quote unquote others, which included ex-convict consultant Carlo Prescott. Zimbardo commented that Prescott took on the personality of the parole officers he faced in prison with no 
empathy. He even accused a prisoner of trying to con him into believing that he could make a positive impact in society. He told another prisoner that he would see to it personally that the prisoner stay until the last day. However, one prisoner was released on parole and later told that they were ending the experiment the next day. Okay, so I, I, I want to know really now, why was he released? Why, why was this guy released? We, find out, we found out later it was because they felt he was showing signs of depression. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I, I want to know what those signs were and... I, I just think that that's like were uh, they were they I planning on releasing somebody? I would think perhaps maybe to kind of I I could see this as another mind fuck maybe to show the others oh you, maybe you can get out mm-hmm. or oh that guy got out don't you wish that was you you know what I mean like maybe that was just another way to fuck with them I don't know. That evening, Zimbardo's colleague and girlfriend Christina Maslack visited the prison and was shocked at what she was seeing. She told Zimbardo it was horrible, which triggered Zimbardo to stop the experiment early. Maslack commented that she had only been Zimbardo, had she only been Zimbardo's colleague and not his girlfriend, she may not have felt comfortable confronting him. What does that say? What kind of a guy is this Zimbardo? What, what does that say about him that his colleagues wouldn't feel comfortable Saying, like, you're going too far. This is inhumane. Like, this is beyond an experiment of what you're trying to do. She only felt comfortable because she was sleeping with the guy. Yeah, that's messed up. You know what I mean? Like, come on. That's, yeah, it's just, it's fucked up. When we watched the documentary, Zimbardo basically said that it was at that moment that he kind of snapped out of it and realized, oh, yeah, what I'm doing here is wrong. Like, it took that he, he couldn't he couldn't figure that out before. He said, "Well, I'm going to get in there." Zimbardo ended up paying the the experiments participants the full fee of $15 a day for 14 days, coming to a total of $210 a person, which equivalent to today would be $2,940. Zimbardo said he himself even blurred the lines of reality and took on the role of prison superintendent and put aside his real job of psychology professor. It was unethical. There's no question about that. People suffered uh, in this experiment as subjects. Uh, it, went, it went on too long because I got trapped in the dual role of principal investigator of the research project and prison superintendent of the Stanford County Jail, which I never should have done. The other issue, the the, the central issue about the ethics of this study uh, weighs the cost to the subjects, which were real and tangible, their suffering, against possible benefits to them and benefits to science and society. And uh, we were able to use this study to to promote prison reform. Lastly, the study makes a very profound point about the power of situations, that situations affect us much more than we think that more, more uh, human behavior is much more under the control of subtle situational forces, in some cases very trivial ones, like rules and roles and symbols and uniforms, uh, and much less uh, under the control of things like character and personality traits that we ordinarily think of as determining behavior. But he also commented that everyone else fell in, 
to the reality of the prison system, which only caused it to become more real, allowing the participants to fall even deeper into their roles. I'm going to say right there. That's, it's almost like he's blaming. Yeah, like that's kind of bullshit, dude. Like you shouldn't have been. A everyone part of else it. fell into the reality you of the have prison been a system. In this, first off, it wasn't a prison system. It was a fucking abuse system, is what it was. Yeah. Zimbardo spent the final day debriefing the prisoners first, then guards, then had both groups together to share their experiences with him. The participants were also asked to complete a personal retrospective and mail it in to him, as well as come back a few months later to share their opinions and emotions and analyze their experience. They even had prisoner 416 and the guard known as John Wayne sit next to each other, where 416 asked him why he did what he did. The guard known as John Wayne responded by saying he was doing a little experiment himself. He wanted to see how far they would let him go before stopping him. But no one ever stopped him. It harms me. Why? I mean harms. I mean in the present tense, it harms me. How did it harm you? How does I know what you can turn into. I know what you're willing to do. If you say, oh, well, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Oh, well, it's a limited situation. It's over in two weeks. Well, you in position, what would you have done? I don't know. I can't tell you, but I know what I'd do. Would you believe? I don't think, I don't believe I would have been as inventive as you. you mean I don't that? believe I would have applied as much imagination to what I was doing. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Uh, I think I would have been a guard. I don't think it would have been such a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, I didn't see where it was really harmful. It was degrading, and that was, that was part of my particular little experiment to see how I could... Uh, Your particular I, little experiment? Yes, Why don't you tell me about that? I was, I was running little experiments of my own. Tell me about your little experiments. Okay. I'm curious. I wanted to, to see just what kind of verbal abuse that people can take before they start objecting, before they start flashing back. Yeah. Under the circumstances. And it surprised me that no one said anything to stop me. No one... No one I started to get abused people so much I started to get so profane that uh, and still people didn't say anything now that's that's not just no one ever stopped meeting the prisoners or the other prison guards that means fucking Zimbardo, nobody's like Zimbardo the warden any of the constants anybody monitoring the experiment nobody stopped him so what the fuck just hey cut the guy's finger off next you know like what, what else are they gonna do what what this is what is really aggravating to me because the guy himself is saying, I I essentially, he wanted to see how far he could push things yeah. because nobody's stopping him. It, it's kind of like you're not even doing what you set out to do. No. You, you, yeah. It's like, how far can I push and, the bar? And one of the things I thought was interesting is like, oh, well, you talked to the prisoners first. It's like, oh, what, were you afraid? Like, I don't want to get sued. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Research assistant Craig Haney commented after the experiment, Quote, I realize how quickly we get used to things that are shocking one day and a week later become matter of fact, end quote. Isn't that, that's a statement. Yeah. <laughs> that's and a, that's a fucking statement. The Stanford prison experiment led to the implementation of rules to preclude 
any harmful treatment of participants. Before they are implemented, human studies must now be reviewed and found by an institutional review board in the U.S. or Ethics Committee in the U.K. to be in accordance with ethical guidelines set by the American Psychological Association or British Psychological Society. These guidelines involve the consideration of whether the potential benefit to science outweighs the possible risk for physical and psychological harm. Apparently, this is why this whole deal was so messed up is because there were no guidelines in place to work with or to pull from. So uh, apparently common sense wasn't very common back then either. Mm -mm. They just did whatever the fuck. Or they didn't care. Or they didn't care. Yeah. So because of this bullshit fucking human torture experiment that's what it should be called psychological torture yeah yeah. Yeah. because of that now they have guidelines that they have to follow if they're going to be conducting any type of experiments in the u.s and the uk so i guess you could say maybe some good came out of this because of that but i mean come on well where are the people involved in this where are they now upon some research and the information we have is all from 2011. The most inf- it's the most recent information we could find. Well, we have more recent. We have more, yes. but in terms of like the participants, we discovered the names of two guards: Dave Eshelman, who was known as the most sadistic guard, aka John Wayne. He owned a mortgage business in Saratoga, California. Eshelman commented, he was just looking for summer work and wanted to do something interesting. He knew one of the guards, John Mark, but said if any of the prisoners knew him, he never would have been able to pull his character off as they would have seen through him immediately. Eshelman also said, quote, What came over me was not an accident. It was planned. I set out with a definite plan in mind to try to force the action for something to happen so that the researchers would have something to work with. After all, what could they possibly learn from guys sitting around like it was a country club? So I consciously created this persona. I was in all kinds of drama productions in high school and college. It was something I was very familiar with to take on another personality before you step out on the stage. I was kind of running my own experiment in there by saying, How far can I push these things and how much abuse will these people take before they say, knock it off? But the other guards didn't stop me. They seemed to join in. They were taking my lead. Not a single guard said, I don't think we should do this. The fact that I ramped up the intimidation and the mental abuse without any real sense as to whether I was hurting anybody, well, I definitely regret that. But in the long run, no one suffered any lasting damage. When the Abu Ghraib scandal broke, my first reaction was, this is so familiar to me. I knew exactly what was going on. I could picture myself in the middle of that and watching it spin out of control. When you have little or no supervision as to what you're doing and no one steps in and says, hey, you can't do this, things just keep escalating. You think, How can we top what we did yesterday? How do we do something even more outrageous? I felt a deep sense of familiarity with that whole situation. Sometimes when people know about the experiment and then meet me, it's like, my God, this guy's a psycho. But everyone who knows me 
would just laugh at that. End quote. Interesting. Very, drama. yeah, very Acting. interesting, right? Thank you. I, I like how he's saying, yeah, yeah, drama and how he's familiar with what it takes to walk out onto a stage and, and, and have to take on another persona. Look, I can attest to that from, from being in wrestling mm-hmm. and having to portray a character. I, I get that, but no matter what was going on for, I can, for my personal experience, no matter what was going on, I was still me. I still knew that what I was doing, I'm, portray- I'm acting, I'm, I'm, portraying a character it's not i'm not really this guy this heel this baby face whatever it is i knew i'm just i'm still me and heck you were there with me uh, towards the end i would go up to like in the middle of a match i'll be quote-unquote selling an injury and i'll get up and i'll be right at the guard and i'll look at someone go hey having fun and only he could hear me the only the fan in the front row could hear me but i'd be like hey you having fun i'd break character right there just to let people know look this is a show and they that would get people even more into it. You know what I mean? So I I can I can relate a little bit. I can see what he's saying about stepping into a character, but I don't agree that you have to take it so far that everything else nothing else matters. You know what I mean? But he also he had said in another article, or no, it was in the in the one that we got this uh, quote from. He was saying he was basing a character off the movie Cool Hands Luke. Yeah. So even his accent, he had like this kind of southern accent. It reminded me of um, Super Troopers with the meow prank. <laughs> yes. So he has this accent. He's obviously playing a character. But you look at it, either he was told to do this or encouraged to do it. Or even if he just did it on his own and nobody stopped him, they just let it go. There has to be like, there was just... Like, no limitations. Now, I want to say, too, I want to make it clear that that these quotes were from an article that was in the Stanford University newspaper. So he's he knows he's talking to the Stanford University newspaper mm-hmm. when he's giving these quotes, saying that we had no super... We were not told anything. We had no supervision. I, I again, and we're going to talk about it in a minute because mm-hmm. I, th- I glanced briefly at what you, what you handed me before we started recording. Uh, maybe that wasn't exactly true. And, and I, I think we already know... I think you know where we're going. I, I, I think with this. we already know. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily true. John Mark was another guard who became a medical coder in the Bay Area of California. Mark was about to begin his junior year at Stanford when he participated in the experiment. He graduated in 1973 with a degree in anthropology. Mark said this about the experiment: "Quote during the day shift when I worked, no one did anything that was beyond what you'd expect in a situation like that." But Zambardo went out of his way to create tension. Things like forced sleep deprivation. He was really pushing the envelope. I just didn't like the whole idea of constantly disturbing people and asking them to recite their prisoner numbers in a count. I certainly didn't like when they put a guy in solitary confinement. At that time of my life, I was getting high all day, every day. I got high before I went to the experiment. I got high on my breaks and lunch. I got high afterwards. I brought joints with me, and every day I wanted to give them to the prisoners. I looked at their faces and saw how they were getting dispirited, and I felt sorry for them. I didn't think it was ever meant to go the full two weeks. I think Zimbardo wanted to create a dramatic crescendo and then end it as quickly as possible. I felt that throughout the experiment, he knew what he wanted and then tried to shape the experiment, 
by how it was constructed and how it played out to fit the conclusion that he had already worked out. He wanted to be able to say that college students, people from middle-class backgrounds, people will turn on each other just because they're given a role and given power. End quote. <laughs> nice, nice reading voice. I, I had to distinguish. I had to put, put a little difference between the characters. Like, so he's talking about he was getting high all the time. And then I just got that song, remember? Because I got high. Because oh, I got geez. high. Uh, yeah. Like, that's going in my head. Like, wow. Okay. But this remember guy. when they the, he was screened? For, remember they said but, they were screening so was, people for, like, for drugs? They showed and something stuff. and people checked off. They did marijuana. So maybe that was an okay one, but they maybe were looking that wasn't for hard considered drugs. a drug or something. Or maybe psycho, like medication drugs. Perhaps. I don't know. But it, it's fun. It, like, this guy right here is saying, hey, Zimbardo wanted to yeah. fucking, he wanted this, this outcome. He knew what he wanted to fucking say, and this is, he manipulated this whole thing. Mm. This is oh, a guard saying there. that. Yep. Oh, don't worry, we're getting there. And I'm surprised this also was in that Stanford newspaper, mm-hmm. so I'm really surprised that they published that. Maybe Stanford's like Honey Badger. They don't give a fuck. Who knows? Perhaps. Craig Haney became a professor at UC Santa Cruz and a leading authority on the psychological effects of incarceration and an advocate for prison reform. Another prisoner, Richard Yako, was one of the prisoners who helped instigate a revolt in the prison, and he was the one released one day early by the parole board. He worked in radio and television production and became a public high school teacher in Oakland, California. Yako commented that when he asked Zimbardo's team what he could do if he wanted to quit, he was told, quote, you can't quit. You agreed to be here for the full experiment, end quote. Yako said at that point, it made him feel like a prisoner. He also said he was surprised he was released by the parole board, but discovered they chose him for parole because they thought he would be the next person to break down. So Yako didn't think he was going through any kind of depression. Very interesting. But again, it's kind of it's kind of fucked up, and I think that maybe this kind of shows the, I guess, the societal brainwashing that that people have, because he's told, well, you can't quit because you agreed to be here for the full experiment, and he didn't fight that; he just accepted that. Like you just accept that. Oh, you said you'd do it, so you have to. You know what this reminds me of? Like what professional wrestling. They're all just playing their parts. And I, I thought it, one of the really interesting things to me was they're talking about this experiment that happened. And then it he like Zimbardo became so well known after becoming an authority. There was a riot, I think, at Attica a week after this experiment concluded. There was different incidents that happened and they were all going to Zimbardo. And I read that and I'm like, I thought. When you do studies like this, it takes time to go over the research, the data before you publish anything. And how did everyone know about him? And the police department was there. And there was just like, it, it just seemed very odd, the timing. Usually it takes years for this stuff to come out. And this came out immediately. Now, granted, they were filming it. They were recording everything. But it just seemed a little peculiar that this guy became almost an overnight star from this experiment and then became an expert and was on these different panels and asked to comment and that this experiment 
became as well known as it was so quickly. I thought that was a little weird. I don't think it's weird at all. I think it's it was manufactured. It, it was all manufactured. It wasn't in. This was in 1971. Back then, the information didn't travel as quickly as it does today. So I did a little more looking. I found an article from October 13th from the website historyofyesterday.com. And I just want to share some of the information in this article. It states that in 2002, a team of psychologists at the University of Queensland tried to replicate the Stanford prison experiment. They were restaging it for a BBC documentary, but the experiment failed. The guards, quote, showed no inclination whatsoever to be brutal, end quote. The result said, after conducting the experiment and watching the participants, psychologist Alex Haslam and his research partner, Stephen Richter, suspected researcher interference in the original experiment, but they didn't have any proof. No shit. Yeah, think. I mean, he pretty much practically so, admitted um, to it. So imagine that. They try to replicate this ex- this experiment, and it's not, you know, the next year or anything like that. It's 2002, 2002 so it's Se- about so it's what thirty, 30 years, thirty one years, years later. later, and they're gonna they're gonna try to replicate it. And you would think now society would be even more violent, right? Because you have video games, violent movies, all these things that we're told make us violent, heavy metal music, you know, whatever whatever the case may be. You have all these factors that supposedly make people in society more violent, but, huh, no shit. They they couldn't replicate the results. Why? Why couldn't they? Because they didn't get involved. Maybe didn't, because they, mm-hmm. they weren't told to act a certain way. They weren't poked and prodded. They weren't given direction by the people running the experiment. Maybe these guys actually did a legitimate experiment and realized that, hey, huh, if people aren't manipulated and coerced and coaxed into doing something, they're just naturally okay. People can get along. They can be respectful of one another. Hmm. Fancy that. Interesting. In 2005, the Stanford Daily published a shocking letter written by an ex-con named Carlo Prescott. That's we talked Carlo, about him. Yeah. Yeah. He said he heard they're making a movie about the Stanford prison experiment and he regretted his part in it. And he said, those kids didn't turn evil. It was theater. They were just doing what they were instructed to do by the adults, including him. There you fucking have it. So how is this an experiment exactly? He went on to say, how can Zimbardo express horror at the behavior of the guards when they were doing what Zimbardo and others, myself included, encouraged them to do or frankly established as the ground rules. Now, Zimbardo, when this came out in an article, Zimbardo flipped off the letter from Carlo by saying, quote, it's white boy's language. It's not the language of the ghetto, basically implying that Carlo didn't write that. Carlo's, you know, a a, a black inmate, an ex-con. He's from the ghetto. He wouldn't have written this. 
Yeah, he couldn't have, you know, in 30-some-odd years been reformed. And maybe you know, he couldn't have gotten an education in prison or been educated when he went away to prison. There's no way. Not a good look, Zimbardo. Zimbardo is, like, the typical fucking, uh, uh, what's the word? He's like that typical intellectual elite who thinks he's so much better. Wannabe elite. Because he's got... PhDs and all these fancy letters after his name, but really he's a fucking con man. That's oh, what he it gets is. Better. It's a fucking grifter. It gets better. In April 2018, Stanford released the archive materials from the study. French filmmaker Thibault Le Texier was sifting through it when he found a tape. In the tape, he heard Zimbardo and his team yelling at the kids pressuring them to be cruel to the prisoners, telling them to play the quote-unquote tough guard role and be more brutal. The tape backed up what the ex-con had said. Oh, wow. So it's basically like, you know, Carlo was telling the truth that it was all a work. It was all them pushing the behavior. Yeah, people can act like real assholes when you're telling them to be assholes. Mm-hmm. When you're yelling at them, hey, I want you to be an asshole. Now it makes sense. I'm paying you. Be it, an asshole. It makes sense now that the most sadistic guard was into drama. Right? Mm-hmm. Psychologist Alex Haslam of Queensland, Queensland University said the tr- transcript was the smoking gun he had been seeking for all these years. After his attempt to recreate the experiment for BBC produced different results. So, so basically, this, guy, this was his proof that came out. Yeah, he, he said, hey, there's no fucking way that this was legit. There's no way because I tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these people, no, no, they didn't do it. They didn't do any of this stuff. And if anything, like like we just said a few minutes ago, they should have been violent because society's more violent now, right? According to what we're all told. Well, psychology professor Jay Van Bavel also listened to the tape. In a legitimate psychology experiment, he said, you do not interfere with the test subjects. Do not. Totally unheard of, he said. He said he's changing how he presents this experiment in class. And that right there, and I mentioned this to you earlier, is why, I mean, education is, is, is fucking, this is, this is taught to psychology majors, Mm -hmm. to people that are psychiatrists, people that give therapy, people that do all these supposed studies, all these sociological experiences. This is presented as proof of things that happened when it wasn't fucking really an experiment. It was bullshit. The guy wanted an outcome and manipulated his subjects to get to that outcome. That's like a fucking pharmaceutical company paying someone to say, look, uh, I want you to do a study. I'm going to give you a million dollars to come up with this result. Here you go. Figure it out. Oh, it's getting better. That's fucking what happened here. Some people questioned the study from the beginning. The first criticism was that it was never peer-reviewed or published in an academic journal. And of course not. There was no time for the for the standard peer review process. Zimbardo wasn't even interested in that. It was about the media. The media was there from the beginning. They took photos of the prisoners being arrested. How did they know? Easy. Zimbardo sent press releases in advance. He was feeding the press every step of the way. The serious fraud seems to have occurred between Zimbardo and a complicit audience in the media. 
policymakers and the general public. And that information came from Professor David Amadio from NYU. And there it is, because I was curious, like, how did this get so popular so fast? And boom, there's the information. That's why, because he reached out to the media. Of course. Yeah, he wanted, this was his fucking star making moment. He fabricated something to make himself famous. That's me applauding. I don't know if you can hear that in the microphone or not, but good for you. But again, this show just shows how fucking flawed education is because this is taught to people as something that was legitimate that happened. I'm going to say my comments once I'm done reading this, but here's a real kicker. Ironically, it wasn't even Zimbardo's idea. (laughs) David Jaffe was a student in Zimbardo's class. He played the warden in the experiment. Three months before the experiment, Jaffe and some classmates came up with a prison simulation for an assignment in Zimbardo's class. They set ground rules for how the guards would treat prisoners and enacted it for the class. Sleep deprivation, frequent punishments. Zimbardo was so intrigued, he decided to reenact it himself with an ex-con's help. Then this he fucking guy forgot to credit Jaffe. He didn't even think of it himself. No, nope. wasn't even his idea. He stole it from one of his uh, undergrad fucking researchers. Fucking amazing! Yeah. Typical fucking grifter. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And remember, in the very beginning, was it Prisoner Eight One Nine, the one having the breakdown, who was saying this is a fucking simulation? He ended. He was the first one to go. Well, that guy's name is Douglas Corpy. He was the kid having the breakdown and a forensic psychologist today said basically like Eshelman said, he was acting. When he saw the ad, he thought he'd be able to sit in a fake jail and study for exams, but the guards took away his books. He asked to be released from the experiment, but they said no. He was afraid, not of the guards. He was afraid he'd fail his exams. And it says what he quoted, the breakdown I had was a manipulation to get out of the damn experiment. And so, that's Douglas Corpy. So there you go. He's, he asked to get out and was told no. But again, why don't you say, well, fuck you. I, I want out. Get me out of here. I'm out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm out of it. Uh, where's Zimbardo? Hey, Zimbardo, fuck you. I'm out. You can't keep me here. I'm not really a prisoner. Get me the fuck out of here. But Well, out of the 12 guards, only four played the role. The other eight said no. They're not treating another human being that way. Not happening. One was even sent home for being too passive. Wow. In hindsight, that's why there was only 15 hours of footage from a six-day experiment because most of the time, nothing happened. Just like in the BBC recreation, Zimbardo just kept the bits that fit the story he was peddling. There you fucking have it right there. So only 15 hours of footage. They said they had a hidden camera and microphones and everything set up. They had the the cells were bugged Mm -hmm. so they could observe and hear everything that was going on. And they only have 15 hours out of six days. That's why all this shit was going on. He he needed something to make it fucking juicy. Mm-hmm. He had his he had his outcome in mind and he needed to get to it. 
In 2018, Ben Blum contacted Zimbardo for an interview. Blum is the author of Ranger Games, a critically acclaimed book about an armed bank robbery conducted by U.S. Army Rangers, one of them his younger cousin. He had a personal interest in the idea of good people becoming cruel. Zimbardo agreed and then lied repeatedly, only correcting himself when Bloom countered each lie with the transcripted notes. The article is a whopping 30-minute read. It would be Zimbardo's last interview on the topic. And I'm going to read a quote to kind of finish this off. Quote, People can say whatever they want about it. It's the most famous study in the history of psychology at this point. There's no study that people talk about 50 years later. End quote. And that was Philip Zimbardo. I'll give him that. He's right about that because we're talking about it right now. We just spent an hour and a half talking about this fucking guy and his fucking experiment. I'm putting my fingers up in quotes because it wasn't an experiment. It wasn't a fucking experiment. And the fact that he even calls it that is a, it's just laughable, but that just goes to show you right there. It's, I, I, I'm, I, I, there's so many things I want to say that I'm not going to say because I'll just, I'll just lose it. So I I just want to bring up some points because again, we had questioned like, why are you encouraging this stuff? Why are you a participant in this? And then it's like, that doesn't seem normal. Well, yeah, no, we're right. Because according to this article, they're saying, yeah, you don't do that. You don't get involved like that. You don't contribute in the way that he did. Well, I didn't need an article to tell me that. I know, but it's I thought just right that offhand, confirmation. That's a little fucked up. It's like, okay, we're not crazy. Oh my gosh. It, it's just thinking about like the whole media being there from the beginning. Cause I, I thought it was kind of weird. The police department getting involved and we asked like, why would they get involved? Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe because they're like, Oh, this is going to be big stuff. The media is involved. It'll be good publicity to take a to be a part of this. It just, it answered all my questions that I had. Like, how did this get so big so fast? According to the way it happened. It's not like something happens today and everyone has social media and all the news channels and internet. Back then, it it just seemed bizarre. But, oh, if the media was already on top of it before it started, okay, well, that makes sense. It it just, it's like anything else. If there's a camera present, you're inclined to be performing in some way because you know you're being watched. That's, I mean, that's just, that's... That's basic human psychology. If you know there's a camera on you, you're gonna you're not gonna act like yourself. You're gonna act a certain way. You're gonna act the way you want to be, the way that you feel you want people to see you, regardless of what role you're playing. Yeah. So if you know there's a camera present, that changes everything. That takes to me, that takes all authenticity of a situation out completely. If you know you're being watched. Now these these people knew this this experiment. I believe they knew that there was a, at least one camera. They mm-hmm. knew they were being filmed in a, in a, I believe in the common area. Mm-hmm. I don't think they knew they were being filmed in their cells. Maybe they did. I that I, again, we don't know because fucking Zimbardo didn't give a lot of information on his experiment that was so great and so groundbreaking. He didn't give any fucking info. And I feel like. In that documentary and everything that I can find, it's very controlled by Zimbardo, the information yeah. that came out. Well, he produced it. Yeah. yeah. But like 
it just kind of felt like he he knew that what had happened was obviously not good. And it's like he tried to put himself in the best light possible and say like he tried yeah, to baby I face made, himself yeah, yeah i made a mistake but yeah um he he tried to baby face himself saying i i realize now i shouldn't have been in that position i shouldn't have put myself in the superintendent position so how can that result I realize be valid Ex- exactly so why did you even publish or well he didn't publish it but why did he even fucking publicize it Because it wasn't peer-reviewed. It wasn't put in any medical journal. It wasn't. And yet this is what they're teaching. But this is fucking being taught. That's the thing. That's what gets me. That's what got me so fired up when I found that out. They teach this stuff. Yeah. I took a a psychology class when I was in college. And that was brought up. We we didn't learn a lot about it. It was was mentioned. And honestly, it was it was very brief in passing, but it was mentioned as something that, that took place and this was the result. It, like the details and stuff like that were we didn't go into, but we the were told quote unquote we were result. told the result. Yeah. I mean and now this was back in nineteen ninety five. What does that but say still, about society now? Yeah. Think about this. Given false information, this was manipulated. It was basically played out from the start. People were directed in what to do and it's being presented as truth and then it's being taught as truth and setting standards for psychology. For people, for scary. actual mental care. For that people. is scary. Yeah. They're, they're teaching this to people who are being charged and with ultimately, mental health help. What is this telling people that anyone can become vile? With the right amount of power. Yeah. And that's not true. It's not. It's, it, they've, they proved it when they tried to recreate the study. Some of the people that took part in the initial study didn't want to do it. One was even sent home because he's like, no, why would I do that? I ain't doing that. And, and yeah, it just, it's really messed up how you look at what that portrayed that treat people bad enough and they will break down and comply. That's really the only lesson that was, was learned here, I think. But even that, I still question the validity of that. I still because question were they the really or were they that. just acting? If there was only 15 hours out of six days of video footage, what was happening in the rest of that time? Was were those fifteen hours? Were those just hours that they said, you know, we got to make something happen, so let's do this, and we'll film this. I'm paying you, remember, I'm paying you, so just comply, do this. You're playing a role. That's why, again, knowing that information, I go, was any of this that we just went through was any of it legitimate and we at question, all? Question: Why were Did the parents any of this, pulling their kids out? Exactly. Did any of this organically happen? Was any of it organic at all? Anything? Or was it all just for cameras? Did the parents really wait? I don't know. You know, were were they really manipulated? Were they really behaving the way Zimbardo said they were? Or is that just something he added? It seems to me just the way that all the information, especially in that documentary, was laid out by him. It seems to me that everything, he wrote all of it. It was all written and it was all anything 
that maybe didn't fit the narrative that he wanted, he edited and added in and editorialized after the fact. Mm-hmm. He wa- The way like- that the priest was acting, the way the parents were mm-hmm. acting and playing along and the lines of reality were blurred for the parents. It seems to me the entire thing from start to finish was a work. The whole thing. The whole thing. Even the pissing and shitting in buckets mm-hmm. makes me wonder, did that even really happen? So... And that's one of the things, like, when we were looking into this, we watched this documentary, Quiet Rage, we looked into this, and I question, like, is this real? And and I think, I don't know if that's just a reaction now, but just the feeling I got was, like, if this was really happening, why didn't people just leave? Why didn't they just walk out? After, like, a, a couple days, you're already that psychologically messed up from normal people it, it just yeah. doesn't make sense it, to me. Exactly. And I questioned it. Yep. And then, like, we had to do some digging to find this stuff and going through these different articles. Because if you do just a regular search, it's all Zimbardo stuff that comes up. You have to go through so much to get past that. Like, there's a website for the Stanford Prison Experiment. That's Zimbardo, basically. It was Stanford it's, and Zimbardo who yeah. oversaw it. Yeah. All they, the information. They made a movie, too, back in 2015, came mm-hmm. out. We have not seen it. No. Nope. I didn't wanna, really want to. We didn't want to see it, uh, especially not before doing this show, because we didn't want any anything that we talked about to be influenced even subcon- on a subconscious level by watching a Hollywood production. But I feel like what we just talked about wasn't a Hollywood production, but it was a production. It wasn't anything that was legitimate in any way whatsoever. It, it sure as hell wasn't a legitimate experiment of any kind. Fake. So, yeah. that's the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah. Mm. There you have it. So, there yeah. It is. But like you said, it was very difficult to find anything that wasn't put up by Zimbardo or Stanford. It was It was, It was. was almost not, not impossible, but it was difficult. It was trying to figure out different keyword searches and things like that in order to finally find it. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's all his stuff and it's all interviews he did. It's like he had the, but again, it's because he's the one putting out everything. That's like his business was this thing that he produced. And that's what it was. It's just a big production. All fake. All fake. All bullshit. All a big work. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say, like you said, when you closed out reading your research and everything, he's right. We're still talking about it 50 years later. But I do definitely challenge the fact that he says it was an experiment because it sure as hell wasn't. It was a production. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Based so, on his success with everything, the fact we're still talking about it, I'd say, you know what? Kudos. Hats off to you. It was a successful production. And he did a hell of a job promoting himself and his production but that's what he wanted to do was yeah. have it have this be like make he launched famous. a career yeah. off of it. it fucking more power to him good for him maybe it should be called the stanford prison <laughs> production yeah i think that'd be a more accurate name for sure so that's that that's the stanford prison experiment hats production. off to you mr zombardo you were, I'm surprised he didn't run for office. He'd be a hell of a politician. It's funny. You called him a puppet master. Uh, puppet master. I'm like, he may be a puppet master, but he's no master of puppets. <laughs> I've been listening to too much Metallica. Yeah, he's a puppet master, a grifter, a con man. Mm-hmm. You name it. I feel like that's putting my in nicely. Op- my opinion, of course. But, geez, I think I think his actions speak louder than my words. 
I would agree with that. Any closing thoughts? <sighs> yeah. Wow. What a roller coaster that was. Thanks yeah. for sticking in with us. Yeah. I, I know that as soon as I, as, as soon as we turn the mics off, I'm going to think of some more stuff. I'm like, oh, I, sh- I should have said this. Oh, that's right. I wanted to say this, but I was getting too fired up. So I shut up. I know. I'm like putting yeah. my hand on his lap. Like, calm down. Yeah. I get calm it. down. Yeah. I'm passionate when I, yeah, I just get passionate about stuff. Yeah. Fires me up. It's just how it is. Can't help it. All right. I love your passion, baby. Yeah, you do. Hey, now. Well, all right. Until next time, thank you very much for sticking with us, friends. We appreciate it. I am the Golden Greek Alex here. I'm losing my voice. I've I've drank so much water and tea during this entire, and we didn't take any pauses, save for that one time, so I could cool off a little bit. And now, uh, yeah. And I did most of the reading. You did. You did great, too. Thank you. Until next time, I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing, certified hypnotherapist, trophy wife, the lovely Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast. <laughs>